Welcome to the Dental Amigos Podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are the Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be here with you, Rob. Yeah, it's good to see you, Paul, as always, and welcome to another episode of the Dental Amigos. And today, it's just you and me, amigo. Oh, nice. It's a one-on-one podcast. That's right. Yep. Like the old days. Uh, So today, we're going to talk about multiple practice ownership. So owning more than one dental practice, which uh, as we give seminars and talk to more dentists, uh, it's kind of become the new uh, the new American dental dream. Yeah, right. It's very popular. Uh, and uh, so, Paul, you have uh, a multiple uh, dental practice ownership situation in your uh, dental world, right? I, I do, and you know, there's there's a, a lot of history to me before uh, the world of dental nachos. So you know, just to walk through it a bit. You know, I joined my father's practice in 2005. He had a partner. So to me, you know, I was always used to having, uh, seeing two dentists work together. I give them both a lot of credit because most uh, dentists are solo practitioners. So I joined that practice and in, you know, central New Jersey area, there's not a lot of space for unlimited expansion, uh, of your property. So one way to expand your dental footprint is to purchase another dental practice. And we did that in 2000. 11, there was a small practice for sale. Um, one of the keys that, you know, we can touch upon is that when practices maybe do under $500,000 in revenue, they might not be large enough for someone to take over as their, you know, their main source of income, but they're perfect for additions to a, a group. And at that point, we had had my dad as partner, myself and my brother, and we had the dental uh, people power to take over the second location. Right. And I think that's important. We're, we're going to talk about yeah, all of these yeah. themes and, and issues as we go along. And you have some other multiple uh, ownership recently, yeah, yeah. I'm too. I'm a right? multiple co-owner of a human being. So we have Daphne, four, four years old, and uh, uh, Drew, uh, who is seven weeks old uh, today. So, you know, I... I was I'm really happy to have a second child, and you know it's, it's kind of a ruin one of my lecture jokes because I was saying for the past nine months I I'm not sure if I wanted to be like my second practice or else I'm going to want to return my child, and I don't know if you could return a practice or a child, but I don't want to return her. She's awesome, and I really don't want to return my practice either. It's just that you know as we'll dig into it, um, having multiple practices can just be multiple stresses, a lot like uh, children. Yeah. So when when you did the uh, the second practice in in 2011. Uh, was it strictly because you felt like you had an opportunity uh, in buying that practice or was your current practice maxed out where you felt like, hey, we need to be able to uh, to have a, another location to deal with patient overflow? Well, this is one of the t- topics I had in my lecture that, you know, timing is everything in life. And uh, it could be just another word for good luck is, you know, luck is everything, too. And we were four dentists and my brother had finished his GPR and we really did not have enough pay. When people say they don't have enough patients, you know, people might be envisioning that there's not enough human beings in the practice, but it's more like there's not enough production and work to split amongst four dentists. So my brother was there working with us and a, uh, 
uh, equipment rep had said there's a practice for sale that he knew about um, through a broker, AFCO, and then it was a small practice, and then maybe the Goodmans would want to take it over. So he felt kind of honored, you know, to think that we were, you know, uh, worthy of that, uh, and he was a, a good guy to do that. And we looked into it, and we thought it would just be a perfect for us. A couple things I'll hit upon. It was only five miles from our our main practice, which okay. was I felt would be patients would drive between the practices in central New Jersey. So And have they? Yeah, they have. I mean, they not always with with uh, glee, but um, they have. And, and it, that's a very important point. You know, for, if people are listening from Texas, they might think, you know, tw- that could be 20 miles between practices. But in central New Jersey, five miles to me, five to seven miles is about the limit, five to eight miles that people are not an- too annoyed to drive between the practices. Well, how long a drive is it on a on a day with typical traffic? It, it, it's good because there's a, it, it's a typical New Jersey thing. There's there's a, like some back ways. So, right. you know, with a lot of the patients at that practice were older, which I love older patients. I'd be happy to have a practice that was only 60 plus people. Anyone underneath that age, they could go somewhere else. But yeah. They tend to sometimes be reluctant to want to drive long distances, but there's it's maybe only about a 12-minute drive, and there's no such thing as traffic on this drive, so that's good. Okay, good. Um, there, not, in that neck of the woods, you could take it could easily take 20 or 30 yes, minutes to it, drive five miles. It depends miles what sometimes. we're talking about because people know where we are in Pennington and Ewing, New Jersey. Believe it or not, there's a lot of farmland there, and uh, it's, it's not a lot of high traffic between those two places, especially if you take the back roads. So when we did that, we also had an in-house periodontist and endodontist. So we one of the reasons that I think multi-practice ownership is attractive to people who offer a lot of different services is that instead of, you know, you can look at it as a giant marketing plan because you're taking in these patients underneath your umbrella and then they can start to be part of the services that you offer your existing patients that they've never had the opportunity to get before. So are the specialists in both offices? Specialists, we, it's a great, great question. When we did that, we just kept them at the main office. And the reason for that is specialists, when you have an in-house endodontist or periodontist, um, they require a lot of different parts and pieces to do their work. And right. it's really difficult to bring those parts and pieces between the offices consistently. So we thought, hey, let's just ask everybody to come over for that. And one of the things that I think I can just share with the listeners is, you know, why would someone go to an in-house periodontist five miles away if they can go down the street one mile away to a different periodontist? And we would offer that to them. But it's two reasons. One, uh, with technology, you can make the appointments in that office for your other location. So that just, right. they can talk to the same person that they always talk to in our office. Like, you know, they could talk to the Kate and say, hey, we're gonna, I need to go to the other office. And two is they didn't have to go for a separate consult. Right. So we got them with that one too. Mm-hmm. Meaning like, you know, if you send them to a different office, they would go for a consult. They'd fill out the paperwork. Uh, there's a very famous Seinfeld or Seinfeld's dad. Uh, they gave him paperwork at an office. He said, you got my name. You got my phone number. That's enough. And he returned it. And I mean, you know, I feel but feel for that because if you're in well, it's your... It's true, though. I yeah, mean, I mean, it's, a, it's a new relationship. And, yes. you know, most people are not looking to develop new healthcare relationships unless they absolutely have yeah, to. Yeah, they see it. I mean, and, and I don't blame them. I mean, it happens to me, me too, as a, uh, uh, you know, a patient, too. So that really, it's streamlined. And it really, it, it represents a lot of great things the way patients would like it because we're talking to each other as practitioners. We're discussing cases. If we have a paper chart, we can, you know, bring the charts and look at the x-rays with our periodontist or endodontist and say, what do you think behind the scenes about Rob Montgomery's case? All while you don't have to be there. And then we can call you up and say, you know what, Rob, a periodontist said you should get the implant. And so patients really love it. I mean, now, um, you know, uh, it's just a separate topic, but in our area, root canals are not quite as popular as they used to be. So our endodontist, who is awesome, is not with us anymore. And um, people will still ask for her. And they'll say, why isn't she there? Because they now have, we've trained them to come. They right. now don't want to go outside the office. So it's a whole separate separate thing. But uh, that was really one of the 
one of, that's one of the best parts. Or if we, when you're looking at, you know, hey, what's the, one of the best parts of having children? You're thinking you're hanging out with them on the weekend, doing fun stuff. What do you work towards to get that time? For me, being able to utilize our in-office specialist is one of the best parts. Right. Yeah, that's a good uh, a good point. So I don't know if you said this. I apologize if you did. How many ops are in the uh, in the? Oh, it's the, a great no. So I mean, I, I actually say this is so. We had five operatories in our main practice, which is still pretty small. I mean, yeah. it's a house office from like Civil War times, and it's a it's. I'm working in some eight year old child's bedroom from the 1940s. It's a cool looking place. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a great curb. So yes, yeah, so, right. So patients, it, it's exactly like you and I talk about these restaurants in Philly. Like a lot of people like these quirky BYOs. Right. But if you're a server and you're knocking into everybody all the time, you don't yeah. love it quite as much. So we, I really like it, but it just isn't designed for modern day dentistry and we couldn't make any bigger. So this one over there only had three operatories. So that was even smaller. So now we have eight operatories, but it's in two locations. I made this joke many times because I wish I could just airlift that practice and drop it in the backyard of our main practice and walk between it like a casino and right. say, oh, hey, I'm going out there. Right. because Don't um, think about that too much. Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> so, But in New Jersey, in a lot of popular areas, that's really the only way that you can expand your 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 place. I mean, people think, you know, people say to me on dental nachos or different things like, oh, you know, just just build more operatories or just expand it. It's, it's not always possible, you know. And, and right. it, it's also, it's, just, it's a whole, you know, we talk about this all the time, and you're, you're the startup guru with Jamie. It's like, okay, we expand and put five operatories onto our main practice, but we have no other patients. Is that a good business decision or not? I mean, it, it feels good to just have double the amount of operatories, right. but then who's going to fill it? There's yeah. a lot of high-level well, business decisions. It's good if you can fill it. Right. Yeah, right. So, so in New Jersey, I'm just using it, it's like that's how you can you know, you can acquire patients. But we, we talked about this in-office specialist thing. If we had acquired this office and then we, let's say we just said that location's no longer there, patients wouldn't all go to the other office because right. for general dentistry – your everyday dentistry, they would then make another decision to go closer for the cleanings, exams, x-rays, and fillings. So there's a lot of complex which procedure type stuff is it. That's why maintaining two locations is, is necessary. We've done that for seven years. Mm-hmm. That's good. And so the, the real estate on the, uh, the uh, we'll call it, we're going to call it the new office just so yeah. for clarity's sake. What type of, of, of uh, building is that? Is that an office It's in a condo in a retail center okay. with like some... Um, it's one where near where I grew up in Ewing, so it's like a when people say strip mall. I think they think of that movie like Mall Rats. So I don't say it's you know it's like a it's like a shopping plaza. It's actually very nice. I mean, uh, so I know I'm going to be 60, 70, 80, hopefully one day. I'm sure there'll be some challenges. And so in our in our main office in Pennington, it's a quiet small town, but there's not a lot of this. There's not a lot of parking. So in our second office, our new office, there's actually parking as far as the eye can see. So right. the patients really love that who are older because they don't have to fight for parking spots. Now, if we're from Philadelphia, Rob, if you came to Pennington, I hope you do one day, you'll say where, I don't see much fighting for parking spots, but if you have to park over 200 yards away from your destination in Pennington, that's, that's considered a far walk. So, yeah. Well, that's yeah. far. I mean, that's sort of the, <laughs> we're, we're jaded, you know, urban people, but you know, in suburban terms, so people yes. just aren't accustomed to, to walking. I mean, one funny, you joke. and I we can walk out of here and walk 15 blocks <laughs> and think nothing of it. But yeah, you know, if you're used to driving your car around, used to pulling up in front of the door and getting out and walking in, that becomes a bummer. And right? it's a, a funny joke that I've learned over the years. So I'm in that I, I was in that satellite office a lot, you know, taking it over. And we can talk about that. You know, we were saying, okay, you got to come and see our periodontist in Pennington, five miles away. And they say, I can never find any parking there. And what they mean is they can't find close parking. And what I learned was Pennington is a small town, and between 11 a.m. and 1, 1.30 p.m., people would come into the town for lunch to have pizza. So I say, you know what? 
don't come during rush hour. Come at 9 a.m. or 3 p.m. And actually, yeah. it was a great system. Yeah. I mean, we talk about systems. And so now if you're from the Ewing office and you do not want to find parking, you make your appointments between the non-rush hour lunch times. And it, it was a real thing. Yeah, so. well, that makes sense. So when you were looking at this, uh, at the second office, uh, now with the benefit of hindsight, yeah. was this what Paul Goodman in 2018 would consider oh, to be a quote unquote a good acquisition. Yeah, it's interesting. If you, it's, I do think it's standing a good on acquisition. Itself. Stand, on itself. Oh, standing on itself. Um, it would have been like purchasing a. It would have been like trading an associate ship for ownership. Meaning that the practice did about three hundred thousand dollars a year. The owner Dennis was there. Unfortunately, he was sick, and it was towards the end of his career anyway. It probably did more than when he was in his prime. He was treating it as sort of just a retirement in practice, working three days a week. So standing on its on its own, I think it would have been tough for someone to take over and make, I'll just use an example, of $140,000 a year as an owner and then pay the loan. Uh, from the acquisition analysis, I was not Paul, Paul Goodman, the broker back then. So we, we, we definitely did pay more than what I would probably offer today for that practice. But it just gets into some of our discussions about dual representation and also what brokers tell you, and I've said this, like, you have to kind of believe them. Because if they say a lot of people want this practice, it is Mercer County, New Jersey, and we just had paid the asking price. If I was doing it today, I probably would have offered less. But uh, it didn't, I always say, like, we talk about don't mess up on your first things, right? Don't mess up on your first practice. Your satellite practice, to me, becomes a little bit like this rental property people have. So I cannot fix anything, Rob. I know you have rental properties, so but you know maybe you can fix things. No, very little. Yeah, but like Kimberly, Kimberly has like a false confidence in me. Right? <laughs> yeah. Before we call the plumber or the electrician, I want to see if Rob can fix. And <laughs> yeah, I tell right. him, no, just call the guy yeah, because I undoubtedly I'm not going to be able to solve this. So problem. You, like do it the. Um, I think if you you know and I've you know talked a lot with Mark Costas and went to his Dental Success Summit and you know he owns nine practices. You know, it's hard to determine how much money you're really making at a second practice. You're kind of just running it. And, you know, you're paying the expenses. You're paying the dentist to be there. But it is, for me, to go back to it, it's it's allowing us to infuse productive services into our main practice. So that's uh, that's why I consider it a good acquisition still even today. Right. So you do you track the finances at that office separately? Good question. We did not do out of it was my fault. My dad and my brother and I were all sitting there and we I, it was me who led this whole thing because it was the Paul Goodman thing and we just in that moment said, you know what, we'll just kind of toss it into this Pennington Dental Associates umbrella. And now over the past two years, we have separated. As I've become a broker, I've realized that it makes a lot of sense to do that. And we've gotten a better bookkeeper. Or, and so now we do track it separately. So uh, I'm happy to report, since you're my advisor too, Rob, but it, it, is, it is cash flow positive. It's good. Uh, and now, I mean, you know, in, in, a, in a way that as the journey has gone along, you know, my brother and I would work it exclusively. And while we are only own two locations, I do really technically have purchased four practices because along the way, we had a, once you buy one practice as a satellite, you're marked and people look out for you again. <laughs> Not always in a good way. I was going to ask so the same, what kind of mark yeah, that yeah, is. So the same broker said, oh, I got a guy. And then, I mean, this is a good story. He was, he, this is just great for our listeners. He injured his shoulder. He was 68 years old. He didn't want to retire. And he wanted, he wanted to merge his practice. So we, we purchased his practice, his patients. We purchased him, whatever that means, comes over. And so you say merge, not really merge, but we would call that a fold in. Fold in, I mean, yeah. Fold in. He, he we, didn't we, merge. He didn't retain no, ownership. He didn't retain ownership. So we paid half of the 
price up front, and then we paid per patient coming over. You would probably have a more sophisticated arrangement for us now if I was asking you, but this was in 2012. You know, know, it's, uh, you know, how many you eat what you kill. You yeah, know, and, I wanted and so to hold the nacho base. carrot. I mean, people say you want a carrot. I mean, who wants a carrot? I want nachos. But I wanted to hold the nacho in front of him. So he was great. He was actually on the phone with his patient saying, I'm over here. He Small practices, the patients and the dentists really bond closely. Mm-hmm. So he was with us for seven years and just Is that retired. that a PPO or fee-for-service practice? A, a hybrid. I mean, okay. most of New Jersey, there were hybrids, which we've kind of discussed has become problematic. I, I've really... You know, as the story goes on, I've really separated our Pennington office into almost exclusively fee-for-service and our satellite into almost exclusively PPO. When I used to hybridize both of them, and I, you can, we can talk about why I do that, because I just see the world of dentistry being, at, like we've talked about from our Amigos conventions, tough to have multiple cultures under the same roof. Oh, sure. Well, um, as you said, I mean, I love your, your analogy. It's yeah. like trying to run a, a Chipotle, a Taco Bell. And an Elvez out of the same place, which and, a lot of people try to do. And it's just that you would never go to a restaurant like that. I mean, yeah. if you're going to find a mobile thing, it's like kind of like a Long John Silver's and like a Hardee's at a rest yes. stop, and, right? And, like, and, that works. Yeah, but. Yes. And, and you know you know what people, I like to just take a minute and say for our listeners, it conf, this is who it confuses the most. Not the dentist. Because the dentist, when you're in your office, you're just running between room to room, doing the work. I mean, sometimes I'm going to know, okay, this patient's fee for service, patient's fee for PPO. When we were in hybrid situations... I would just not know, but um, it would confuse the staff because the staff would or the team they wouldn't quite. And I, I get it. Like when I go to Elvez, if they charge fourteen dollars for the macho nachos, my favorite one, and, and the waiter and you told the server take these out, and then you said take the same plate out and charge these people eight dollars. Right. It, it's just a mixed message. It, they're not mad or upset. I just could see how it's confusing. So when we were getting an insurance check where we were adjusting off crowns five or six hundred dollars and then other people were paying the full price you know and this is one of the common areas of some friction on the dental nachos group people say why can't i be a hybrid fee-for-service ppo my belief is it's a very difficult model to keep up in 2018 because this is the reason rob ppo used to be very close to fee-for-service so if you said here's 14 dollar nachos Here's $12 and 10 cent nachos. No one's going to ask questions. Close enough, right. Now you're saying here's 14, here's seven in the same practice. So that so I have made a uh, decision to make the second office more insurance-based, the first office more fee-for-service. But when you say something fee-for-service, doesn't mean it's better. It just means that it's lower volume. That sometimes can be a challenge. But I've kind of just separated the cultures. But one of the, you know, you, you hear me talk about general dentist versus specialty. You know, it's interesting. Uh, sometimes people have PPOs. They just don't care if they go to a fee-for-service specialist. So that's why it works because mm. when the second office, they need an implant, it's not covered anyway. So they just hop on over to Pennington without asking any questions. But if I'm over there and say, hey, Rob, you want to get your teeth cleaner? Oh, God, no, not here. I want to go back to the other place where my card works. So Yeah, right. That's interesting. So, you know, it sounds like you may have, over, quote, unquote, overpaid a little bit for uh, for what it is. But at this point, you know, looking back, are, are you happy that you did it, and so or, I, or, do you, or do you have regrets? It's a great question, um, and I use this with um, my groups. You know, is it is it more likely for an implant to work or, or less likely? It's more likely. So I am more on the happy side than the annoyed side. If I would, I would do it again. I didn't know all the things that were going to go into it because 
Now we have a fantastic associate there who's running it exclusively, and we support her, but it's tough on her because my brother and I are sometimes at a main practice, and how do we do mentorship? Through text message. We're texting, you know, do you know how you text people? Say, does, you know, does Florence, you know, this is just when I say when Florence is in, you're going to know what kind of age Florence is, and she might text over as Florence... Florence's tooth broke. I want to recommend a crown. And I, rec- I text back, don't, don't say crown to Florence for your own good, right? Because yeah. I know Florence and Florence is going to look at her like, you know. Uh, so that's the hard part is when you're in two offices. We have two offices. And I mean, it's a little bit like the parenting. Now it's one-on-one with Mary and I. Mm-hmm. So imagine if we were both with Daphne and Drew was in a whole nother location and we had to remotely parent. Even if there's even if we have another parent over there, mm-hmm. they don't know Drew the same way. So that that's... Sure. If, if I could tell people about multi-practice ownership and your clients too, uh, you have to be ready to do less dentistry but more work. And I say less dentistry but more work. So you're, work, you're working more hours towards these endeavors mm-hmm. and you're doing less dentistry. I think there's this and, – And there's a cost associated with oh, that yeah. too. I mean it's, it, this is you know, kind of the classic is you know, I see where you're going with this, that you, you're going to work more and perhaps, at least in the short term, Make less. Definitely immediately just make less. When you purchase a second practice, you're definitely going to make less because, A, you're going to invest in upgrading it. You have to get another dentist and pay them. Uh, if it's an insurance-based practice, there's usually not a lot of big dollars coming in on a daily basis, so you're waiting for insurance checks. So you're you're sort of, you know, people say fronting money to this practice from your main practice. And, you know, what I put it's, – it's also all about your dentist chef. So one of the reasons I have this insider um, connection to places like Albert Einstein and Temple AGD where I can – you know, have these great people that I get to meet and people will call me up as a broker and say, I want to buy a second practice. And I say, okay, who's going to be the dentist there? They say, I, I don't know. That's right. the classic. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. I see that too. Yeah, right. You know, and that's what, that's what I was hearing too. Like, so your situation there, if you have had sort of like a, a revolving door of associates in that office and nobody ever really worked out and you currently were, you and Jeff were running between yeah. that office or Evan and saying, geez, this is just brutal. Like, you probably would answer that question, are you glad you did it, very differently. Oh, 100%. Right? So you're in a good situation that you have the sort of the resources. Well, what you brought up from the beginning, what you brought from the beginning was just so, was funny and right with, you know, the parenting. You know, in in the beginning, it was three owner dentists, three owner dentists, and two practices, you know, when we had my dad. So we were actually playing better than one-on-one. So, so I could leave the main practice, leave my dad there and Jeff and go solve some small, I mean, Gary V, who we talk about, he, he actually know what it's like to be a, a CEO. I love this because I'm a fire, firefighter every day I walk in and I just put out fires. They say, Gary, this happened. And that's what being a multi-practice owner is. And I think Mark Casas would say the same thing. What are some of the fires, you know, this, this, one of your team members, and you know, what, one of the things that I think dentists don't embrace and we don't learn about in dental school is there's unavoidable problems. Like if you have an assistant and they have two young children and one of them is sick and, and they could be a single parent, or even if they're not a single parent, someone has to be with that young child. They cannot show up for work that day. So then how do you play musical assistants? I usually send my own assistant. Now I don't have one. Right. Uh, and those are the things that really, you know, that death by a thousand cuts uh, mantra. I, mean, you, I think I'd almost be able to interview, a, if a dentist, I'm going to be offered this to your clients, Rob, free of charge, just for the good of society. <laughs> if you had someone said, I want to open up a, a second practice or buy one, I'll ask them five questions. They just have to answer honestly. I don't right. know exactly what they are now, but I can think of some of them. I was ready. I was, they, I was actually yeah, going to get yeah, my yeah. pen out. Because I, like, I, like, I would like some time and uh, and five questions. At the end, I'll just say you should or shouldn't do it based on those five questions. One is, is it okay for you to be tapped on the shoulder while you're doing dentistry a lot? So I say that's a really important one. So when dentists are doing dentistry, when chefs are chefing, you know, 
Dan, our podcast engineer, is a, a amazing cook. And I mean, I'm, I'm a terrible cook. But when Mary's cooking, and I can't just tap her on the shoulder and say, do you know where Daphne's sneakers are? Because she'll, that'll be very annoying. And that, that's what you're signing up for as a multi-practice owner. You could be doing a big implant case. I could be doing a $10,000 case on a person. And I got to be totally available to be tapped on the shoulder. In our office, we have a post-it note system. So when they come in, I mean, I'm very into systems, and they just put a post-it note down. It doesn't have to say anything. That just means I need to speak with you. Mm-hmm. So the patient doesn't know. So I got to, in, in that moment, I can't say, forget it. I'm doing my work. I have to stop and go see what the problem is. And sometimes it's a small one, but it's, they're, they're out. I mean, when you, when you have two locations, I mean, I don't have a beach house, but people do, or people, you know, you run out of stuff at the other place. Right. And they just say, hey, we got no paper towels. That's a real one. And then I'm like, okay, tell someone to drive over with paper towels. It's, it's an expensive way to solve the problem. Yeah. But uh, those are the things. That would be question number one. Can you dentist and be tapped on the shoulder, in quotes, a lot? And then when you are done dentisting, when your procedure's done, and you have every dentist knows this, Rob, there's one thing that maybe you guys don't have the luxury of, because uh, I know, like... If I have a 60-minute procedure and it goes particularly well and I'm done in 42 minutes, old Paul used to get 18 minutes of whatever he wanted. Sit around, read a magazine, I don't know, anything, walk outside. Multi-practice owner, Paul, that's 18 minutes to firefight. So you then also have to realize that your brain is turned on the whole day. Mm-hmm. And a lot of dentists, it's just not their thing. And it's not a bad thing, but the lure of multi-practice ownership is like a lot of things sometimes more attractive than the nuts and bolts of it. Sure. Well, the success stories look, look awesome. We'll talk about those in a few minutes. But what strikes me, though, in, in knowing your situation, and I didn't know you as well back then, but you guys, when you did this, you had a fairly significant, not even fairly, you had a, a significantly large mothership in yeah. Pennington Dental. So it's a little different if you have the resources and the people to be able to throw at that. You know, like if you are... A, uh, a a single dentist, or maybe a, there are two dentists in a practice, then and then you do this expansion. It's a little different when you get tapped on the shoulder and have to do yeah, that totally. because then no dentistry is getting done there, you know. And that's kind of in my business. You know, when I started bringing on associates, it was a one-to-one training thing. Now I'm lucky because there are a number of lawyers here that can kind of, everybody can kind of pitch in, help train those people, deal with problems, right? I still deal with the bulk of the problems, right? Other than practicing law. But, you know, it strikes me that's the same thing in your situation, that you guys were big enough that you could absorb that from a a people standpoint, a human being standpoint, from a, a resource standpoint, and then also just you know from a money standpoint too because yeah. if you have and this is something that you know we talk a lot about you know obviously being purposeful and and planning with CPAs and doing cash flow analysis uh, you know today if we were talking about you know what should yeah. we do this or not you know what my advice would be immediately like let's get the CPA in here yeah. and tell us what this is going to cost you from you know lost time at Pennington that you're going to have to spend here, and at the end of the day, your drop in production, what impact that's going to have on the overall. But if you are a big enough organization like you guys are, you're able to absorb that. But I think about sort of like the one-man band that's looking to do that, and now all of a sudden it's a, it's a one-to-one sort oh, of thing. I say all the time, now it's become in vogue, and I've always said this, you know, it's the Simon Sinek thing, all about explain your why and do all this, and, and it's wonderful stuff. But sometimes people would come to me a few years ago 
then they would just be like, I'm a solo dentist and I practice this $900,000 a year. I want to buy this $300,000 a year practice. And I was just looking and be like, why? why? And I say it with total curiosity because I couldn't see it improving their life at all. And if you've, you've helped me a lot with this drop too, because I've also looked for third and fourth practices and you've, you know, it's this classic, like I can build it up. But then even when you have a big organization, you stretch yourself so mm-hmm. thin, you just don't enjoy getting up every day to do this stuff. And, um, I think it's it's a really difficult thing for dentists in 2018 because you know we both eat at these uh, you know Steven Star restaurants right, and some are successful, some are not successful. I just took a picture of El Patori. My Jill's uh, husband loved that place. It closed down. Right. I mean, it was a great restaurant. I think. Right. I mean, right. so it doesn't mean he's bad at what he does, but it just means the cash flow there wasn't um, good enough. But you see, you don't see these restaurants expanding seats, right? I mean, it might not always be practical, but it's not like, hey, the busy, they try to get another location. So I, under, I understand the concept. It's just in dentistry, you have to have a good dentist chef with you. And, you know, uh, you and I talk about this a lot. Like someone say, I'll just find an associate. I say, okay, what happened when they leave in, leave in two years? Right. Like, would you take the deal you're giving to this associate, you know, to work underneath you or, you know, with you? I mean, how long are they going to stay with you for? And uh, we've had a lot of great podcasts. And it's like dentists aren't particularly adept at managing people. So now they're managing a high-level person like them, and that can go um, south quicker than people think. And then you have to pay the rent at your second location, yeah. and your chef just walked out. Right, and your chef. And it's a great analogy because we're talking about the chef. Right, we're not yeah. talking about somebody that is you know, uh, seating people or a waitress oh, or a busboy. We're talking about the chef. And, and in dentistry, right? so tough. It's, they're the one legally allowed to do the stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's multi-layered, and and uh, you know, then some people say to me, and this, you know, they say, "I'll just get another dentist." I'm like, "Okay, where are you getting that person from? Do you want another dentist that's sitting at home?" I mean, in every NFL playoff, this always happens: a quarterback gets hurt, and they actually do take an old quarterback who was watching TV on his couch. You're not an Eagles fan, yeah. but that kind of happened last year, Paul. <laughs> yeah. You know, right? Yeah, but, but, sort well, of. Right? But, like, but if that's that's happened, you know, that happened yeah. with Andy Dalton and the Bengals that time. Where they're, but these are these are seasoned chefs who can come in and chef for a couple games. Yeah, but they're not signing up to do the next season. Right. So. You know, um, you and I both deal with that with multi whether it's a DSO, a corporate, a, a group, anyone, and it's, it's all about these dentist chefs. And now you have not only do you have a second, I mean, our second practice, even if it's stable and not sucking us dry with money, it's still running. But if we didn't have the dentist chef for whatever reason, it would immediately become an expense, right. like a quickly a drain, a drain quickly. Mm-hmm. Like more than more than what sometimes the I think these younger dentists and I maybe I thought of it too when my even when my dad was younger they think dentistry is not much different than any small business where you make the donuts you collect the money for the donuts you make more mo- donuts there's no usual treasure chest of dollar bills or you know that you can just that you can use to pay for un unanticipated expenses right so and you probably have seen that with your own clients where you know they've lost a dentist and now they have rent they have a staff so sure. I I think it's it's uh, like, I mean, you've taught me it's, it's something to go into purpo- with, with purpose and really be able to explain your why or else you shouldn't get into it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's so true. And, you know, what I think I see, too, and this is the case in your situation, is a lot of times people will add the second practice and it's a smaller practice. And we've talked about before, you know, personally and, and on yeah. the show here, about sort of the challenges with smaller practices. Not to say that small practices are bad practices, but a lot of times they're underperforming yeah. practices and they're underperforming for a reason. Sometimes it's a reason that can be fixed. Sometimes it's a reason that can't be fixed. Right. So if you're 
looking at acquiring a second practice and it's one of these quote unquote smaller practices, you now have to, this is like a fixer upper at the right, same yeah. time. So it's not just like you're plugging in another organization that's firing on all cylinders. Oh, and it's like, this is Pennington dental too. It's not that it's, it's this thing that, that needs some attention. Right. Yeah, and, the, and you have to be able to spend the time with it. Otherwise you'll deal with the consequences. And, and the right? fixer uppers, the room, you know, I have a, a wonderful friend who runs, has like 40 properties and he can do us all this, but I get text messages from him on Sundays. He's working. That's another just important point. Everything still happens from 9 to 6 p.m. So you can't go fix this practice up on a Sunday with your free time with your wife because you want to paint something. You have to fix it up while you're working in your other practice because patients don't come at that time. And that's why, you know, it's your it's very exhausting on your mind to be working on a patient Go up to your office, find about a problem, go over there, maybe go over and see a see a patient there, run all the things. And I'm not saying it's impossible to do. It's just it's it's like working without a, a, a tight um, without a safety net a lot of times. And you got you got what I wanted to get across is you got to really be good at dentisting before you do this because if you don't like know how to dentist where you can whatever procedures you do do well like you do then you're really in for a tough road. Yeah. Because if you can't, you need a certain experience level to doing what you do before you can even exercise that other part of your brain. Right. But even so, even if you have that experience, it's still something that's taking you oh. away from being a dentist, which is, you know, in our worlds, you have to produce to, to, to generate revenue. Yeah, th- 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 that happens. It, that's, why, that's why I always say when people say you have a lot of dentists working for you, Paul, or maybe you can t- take off and eat nachos. I do more than that. But, I mean, you know, do this. They don't always like there's a cost to that. To run your office doesn't bring you a lot of profit. So, I, you know, I've learned actually a lot from you, Rob, with the corporate groups. Like, if they make, you know, I know there's a lot of fancy terms. But let's just say they make 10% profit on running an office, right? 10%. Mm-hmm. And now you're going to be this person with a $320,000 practice. If you, at the end of the year, made $32,000, I don't think people have any idea how many hours went into that $32,000. Yeah. And it's really not worth it if that's the only thing you're going to get out of it. Well, not to mention the cost of making the $32,000 right, yeah. someplace else. And, and yeah, so well, exactly. A lot of times people don't realize, and I, I have conversations with people either when they want to bring on associates in their existing practice or expand to a second practice. As you said a minute ago, people have this misconception, I think, sometimes that, oh, I'll just hire more people and... It'll make my life easier. It'll mean that I have less work and I have more free time, whatever the case is. I, so that's a very yeah, popular right, thing. Yes, I, yeah, yeah. That, you know, I want to hire another. I want to hire an associate because it's a lifestyle thing. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's like, whoa, hold on. You know, the lifestyle is now that you've just grown your organization. And the bigger it gets, the more time it takes. Of the more course. headaches, the more aggravation, it, and not necessarily more money. And and. And what is really certain is not more free time. Oh, yeah, for like, sure. You don't, a, you don't hire more people and have more offices and have more time to spend at home. Yeah, yeah and that's a big cost, too, and I, I deal with that as well. And you, at a certain point, you have to – I mean, just, you see this with great chefs in Philadelphia who do this, and you see this – I'm not necessarily comparing myself, but you have to like it at some point. You have to like to want to be with dentists. You have to want to be in a big organization. You have to want to problem solve. You have to want to, and I, since I've taught at Einstein my whole life, I've loved that. I mean, I, I do. I, I enjoy when they, that part to me is fulfilling. To a lot of dentists, I don't think it's fulfilling. It doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that I exercise these muscles every year teaching residents, and then you're in private practice. It's it's not easy, and I don't blame them. You know, you're 20 years into private practice, and and you have not talked to a younger dentist, and they come in and say, okay, I can do a crown great, and then they don't do it great, 
how do you, what do you say to them? Yeah. Without crushing their spirit, but also you have to make sure, you know, oh, I meant to say this for you. Uh, you can't taste test crowns. See, that is the thing. Chefs can do it. Because they can taste it and be like, get this back in the kitchen. I like that. I can, yeah, you, can't you have taste to copyright it. that Yeah, yeah. I'm going to tell you, you can't taste that crown. Because that, but that's it. The chef, I, I've worked in many restaurants, and I see the older crotchety chef, but who's great, just yelling at the younger chef that what they do, just did, it stinks. And then they actually throw it in the trash. But it's only a $14 plate of pasta. With us, it's so much more complicated. Like, you know, that crown that goes out the door, and none of it's that dramatic. Like, I'm not, like, you know, like for example, the chef who said it stunk, it, it's still edible. But to their level, it's not. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to create a culture. And they're trying to say, hey, when people eat at this restaurant, this isn't how we do things. And, and that's a hard part, too, because you, you can't train chair side. You know, if I came in when you were getting a filling, Rob, and, you know, we all know Evan, and he's a great guy. And if I said, hey, Evan, this is, it should be done like this, you actually should love that. You should actually say, I'm so glad that we have two dentists looking in my mouth and they're making it better. But most people lose confidence in Evan. Mm-hmm. It's just human nature. Sure. It's, it's, it's to their own detriment. You go to a hospital, you want residents and doctors and attendings and more people coming to look at you. You feel like a prize, you know, person, you know. Right. But somehow in hospitals, because it's normal, but in dentistry, you know, they, they just think something's going wrong. And it's hard for everybody in that case. And I'll never forget, I had Jeff who couldn't get a crown off once when he first started uh, that he put in and with no cement. And I said, so usually you're supposed to just take it off and cement it. And he came to me. He's like, I can't get it off, Paul. I'm like, try hard. Try hard. He's like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, and so since we're brothers and I'm very jokey, I said, oh, he called in his stronger guy. And it, just by luck, I, I was able to get it off. I might have had the same problem. Yeah. But I could smooth it off by saying, oh, see what you get for being the older brother and stronger. And since I knew the patient, too, it was a joke. Yeah. But in other scenarios, they just lose confidence in Jeff. So. Yeah. yeah, that's a tricky thing. Well, I think, too, that, you know, an interesting point that you said a few minutes ago is, you know, really what makes you happy you have to enjoy doing it you have to want oh, to do yeah. this and i think you know there's certainly if these things work out well there is a tremendous financial upside i mean let's not kid ourselves yeah. i mean if you are able to assemble a group of profitable practices you have tremendous financial opportunities to sell yeah. those these days you know as we sit here today as you know the fourth quarter of 2018 right. Uh, maybe somebody will listen to this three years from now and say, wow, you know, that's that, that whole thing ended. Right. right yes. Uh, but, you know, right now there is a you know tremendous opportunity for doing that. But I think as with a lot of things, and I mean, I'm probably too old to be this idealistic, but I'll say it anyway. You know, money doesn't necessarily make you happier, you know, and, you know, there's a certain you have to enjoy what you're doing. You have to have a certain amount of fulfillment. In doing this, otherwise it's just not worth oh, it. Because completely. even Paul, even if you said the office that only makes thirty-two thousand dollars, right? If what if that thirty-two is a hundred, right. you know, and like a hundred extra thousand dollars a year, that's cool. That no, nothing to shake yeah. a stick at. But after taxes, it's not nearly as much, you yeah, know. No, and I, then and then you start to look at what I, you know, we refer to as you know the 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 screwball factor, you know, if you have to live your life in a different way to kind of right. accommodate a lifestyle that has a lot more overhead that, you know, you know, maybe you have to eat more meals out or whatever yeah. the case is, you, you don't pay attention to other things you overspend in other ways. So at the end of the day, like even that extra hundred thousand dollars doesn't really put that much extra money in your pocket. Oh, if you, that's such a good point. I mean, you, you've helped this, you've even said what good lawyers do is protect people from themselves. And you've helped me with that too, because, you know, uh, the the financial upside 
is not for a long time because you have to build it first. So when people will say to me, I'll buy three practices, I'll put them together, I'll do all these things. You're 100% right. That opportunity is there. All that part that they just said before is, is the hard work. And that's the time and effort that they do. And, and I, I think it still will be there. I think owning good businesses is always going to be good, you know, regardless of what happens in the dental space. Mm-hmm. But I think dentists... You know, dentists really did a disservice to society when they told them they only work four days a week because they should say, we only work on patients four days a week. But even the solo practitioner is working what you consider work, they don't consider work because dental school didn't teach us this. Doing your bills, meeting with advisors, planning for the next year. Running every, a business. Yeah, every other right. business calls that work. Yeah. So, so that's why, you know, you have to sometimes be willing to put in 60, 70 hours of work in a week. Um, because sometimes you're staying at seven o'clock at night to talk with your office manager because you have to fire the hygienist. So those are all, uh, parts that people just have to wrap their arms around, as you say, if they want to be a multi-practice owner. Yeah, that's good stuff. Well, this has been uh, an interesting yeah, I conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for interviewing me. I, I, I appreciate it. I, I think I, I thank you for you know helping me see things with eyes wide open, and hopefully we can help our listeners with that. And uh, my kind of my parting thing on this will be like, you can always buy a second practice, very hard to unbuy it, kind of returning to the return, you know, you can't return a second practice. If you're out there thinking about it, use good people and run these ideas by enough people that say, hey, this sounds right for you. Because there's a lot of people that we know, and probably one could pop into your mind if I say it, that are currently have a second or third practice that wish they could return it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And when you're doing that, have a good plan and have have the team in place because it's not... It's unlike the field of dreams, right? It's not like you buy it and they will come. Yes, exactly. Right? It's, it's, you have to do a little yeah, advanced On this special on one, people can reach out to me at pauldentalnachos.com, and I'll even give them some special TLC on if they're doing this because I feel it's a pay-it-forward type of thing in this, in this uh, multi-practice ownership world. And then in the meantime, you can figure out the five questions. Yes, yeah, to, yeah, to yeah, I'm go pra- yes, I'm going to go for Question one, I like that. I will vote that. Well, thanks, Rob. Great. I appreciate it. Thanks, Paul. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.